Well, on a personal note, I want to say I love the words that we sang. I enjoyed worship, but you guys, it meant the world to me just to see you as adults up here. I guess I just want to pause for 30 seconds and say, like, as a church that cares about, like, the long game, about you finishing well for Jesus, not just having a flash where you have a good year, but you being steady and growing in Christ and raising your family in Christ and launching a whole next generation out in Christ. Like, it is amazing for me just to be on the stage with you guys and to, to I, I can't tell you how much it means to me, you know, to have seen you guys worship as kids um, in the youth group and know that you lead people for Jesus as grownups. That just, man, it blesses me. Okay, so I want to ask you, um, yeah. So I want to ask you today, like, what are you going to do when God calls your name? When God tells you to do the next thing that he's going to say to you, what are you going to say? For some of you, that's a call to salvation right now. Yeah, for some of you, that just like Abby, for Abby Foley last night to say yes to Jesus. But for some of you, that's going to be a call to ministry or missions. And 15 years from now, you're going to be standing right here leading grown-ups in Jesus for some of you, that's going to be a call to repent and fix your marriage, to turn from sin. For some of you, that's going to be a call just to obey Jesus in whatever the next big step for you is. I couldn't begin to predict, but I'm just asking, what are you going to do the very next time God calls you? Because I'm preaching today about repentance and the nine ways that we follow Jesus. This is one of the ways that we measure real discipleship. Not just how often you come to church, not just how religious are you, but when God prompts your heart, will you turn around and change? When God shows you that you're lost, will you repent and begin your journey? But listen to me, 40 years into your salvation, when God pricks your heart, will you still bend your knee to him, repent of your sin, and follow Christ Jesus? Is your heart fresh and soft, or over time have we become strong and prideful and independent to the point that we won't obey God? So that's what we're talking about today. When God calls you next, what will you say to him, yes or no? It's simple. All right, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to read about John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. I love John the Baptist. Like, I wish that I was John the Baptist. Not that I would eat like locusts and wild honey. Not that I'd be a wild man in the woods, although you know I love to backpack. That would not be too far off for me. But I want to be this guy that stands out from his culture so much that people are leaving the city of Jerusalem to hear him, to see him, to, to understand God through his lens. That this is a guy who's so set apart for God that he is able to point the world effectively to Jesus. I want to be more like John the Baptist. And when you and I meet John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, he is talking about repentance. So let's read about John's baptism Let's read about repentance. We're going to read chapter 3, verse 1 through 18. So hang in with me. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words, of, uh, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will be made straight. The rough ones ways made smooth. And the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. Not a great way to start your sermon. But John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down, thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be their Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Let's talk about repentance. When God calls you, will you change direction, change your heart, change your mind, and obey him? All right, first I want to just make sure we all have kind of a basic understanding of what's going on here in this water. So John the Baptist is this prophet, and you and I are watching something that is kind of a a transition period for baptism. What you saw this morning with Ava and and Abby, that's a little different. That's baptism into the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is Christian baptism. That's what Jesus taught his disciples to do every time we made a disciple. Before John the Baptist, baptism seems like it was just a Jewish ritual purity rite, just washing. Basically, if you were religiously unclean, if you'd done something that made you defile, sometimes that was sinful, sometimes it wasn't, like childbirth. But if you'd done something that made you religiously unclean, you would wash in the water to remind yourself that you need to be clean in God's eyes. And then you could go to worship. So baptism, washing for Jewish people were these rituals that would just remind us of our need to be clean in front of God on the inside so we clean the outside also, okay? So for the Jewish people, you get baptized all the time because you're always unclean and purifying yourself. For Jesus, for Jesus, you baptized once for the rest of your life because your baptism demonstrates that you've been buried with Christ and raised to brand new life. But for John the Baptist, we're in this weird in-between spot where he is doing something really, really differently than the people around him. He's standing over. You're not just washing yourself. He's actually baptizing you. This is unusual. 
And not only that, but he's baptizing you specifically, not just for like ritual uncleanness. John's baptizing you in repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and that's heavy. Because I thought our sins were supposed to be forgiven at this time in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Like, shouldn't we go and take an offering to a priest and let him make a sacrifice for us? But John is standing out in the Jordan River, and he's declaring to everybody, we've made a mess of this, we are sinful, but I'll tell you this, God told me that he's close by. God is on his way. God is coming to get us, and I'm the prophet that's asking you, are you ready for God? And if you're ready... If you're ready to agree with me that we've been wrong, but God is right. If you're ready to agree with me that we are unclean as a people, the Jerusalem temple is not cleaning us. We are not cleaning us. We need a Messiah to cleanse us. If you agree with me, walk down in this Jordan River. Let me baptize you and let God set you apart for his kingdom. It's almost like you're getting your name signed up on the roll for those who believe in the kingdom of heaven. So that when Jesus walks in, Jesus inherits all of John's disciples. Jesus inherits this huge movement of people whose hearts were ready. What's cool to me is John is described as a fulfillment of something in Isaiah, that he's supposed to be this guy who runs out to make the road ready. We've had a lot of road work and pedal lately. Don't you love Highway 42 out headed towards Perry County right now? Man, I feel like Mater. You know, I'm the first one on the new road. I love it. As a car, if you're a kid, you know. It's like road work, but in the ancient days, like if the king was coming to town, you want his chariot coming in on a nice road, so you send people out to like take the, the, the dips in the road, the potholes, level them up, and to kind of knock down the bumps in the road so there's no like speed bumps. Like we want it to be nice. Well, what's amazing is that this metaphor for John, it's not bumps in roads that's in God's way, like to get ready for Messiah, to get ready for God to work. It's not the actual highway. It's the hearts of me and you and people like us. Like we're the things that have to be ready. And so John's out there saying, would you repent and get ready for God? So repentance. I want to explain it to you before we take a quick look at five things we, I want you to know about repentance from this passage. What is repentance? Do you know what it means? I'm a Bible nerd. I love the word. And so I want to kind of give you two snapshots. I want to define repentance. Uh, Robert, you can help me with this. I want to define repentance by using the Hebrew word that's used for it in the Old Testament. And I want to show you the Greek word that's used for it in the New Testament. And I promise not to nerd out so much to bore you. Let me just show you this. In Hebrew, the word that's used for repentance, it's shuv or sometimes yeshuv. And it simply means to return, to go back, to turn around, right? It might be, hey, babe, you forgot, you forgot your wallet. Turn around come back home. Okay, I got it. I love this because this reminds me that in repentance, you and I were created by a good God, but we have been running away from him and it's time to stop running and turn around and run back to him. It's time to turn around, to stop going in the wrong way, to turn around and get back to the Lord. In Greek, the word for repentance is metanoia, a change of mind, a change of thought. It literally means to change the way you think, to reframe your worldview. Here's how I like to think of it. Before repentance, if God said, hey, Ben, I want, you to be, I, I want you to be sexually moral. I want you to be trustworthy. I want you to be kind. I want you to forgive your debts. I don't want you to be pride, pride, uh, prideful. I, I want you to live like Jesus. I'll give you an example. Ben, I want you to forgive this guy that hurt you, okay? I might look up at God and say, all right, God, you say I should do this. I disagree. I want to do this. I say, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to do it my way. But in repentance, I've changed my, my mind. 
I've renewed my mind and I've said, nope, God is right, I'm wrong. You tell me how to do this and I'm walking with Jesus. That's your framework for the sermon. So let's run through it. I'll show you five things I want you to know. Five things. First thing off the top of the, if you want to write this down, I need you to know that for me, repentance is relational. All right, this is important because as a kid, when I would talk about repentance or when I hear about repentance, this is how I heard it, right? I always heard that repentance means that we stop sinning, that we, we look at all the wrong things that we're doing and we stop doing, we repent of those sins and we start doing good things. Well, that is a good result of repentance, but it's not enough. Repentance is relational. It's not that you're, stop, you're stopping behaviors to replace them with better behaviors. Repentance recognizes that you and I have been running from God, and we're running back to God. We want to be the prodigal son. Repentance is we want the father to wrap us in his arms, put a ring on our finger, put a robe on our back and say, you're my son, now act like it. But it begins with relationship. John's out there in the Jordan, not just because people are sinful. John's out there in the Jordan because God is coming near. He knows Messiah is close by. He knows that God is coming for his people and we've got to be ready for him. So John is calling for repentance so that our sins can be forgiven because he wants us close to God. So I need you to hear this. Repentance is relational. It's not just a list of don't do this, do this. Repentance is about you reconnecting with God. And I know that it's possible that some of us might have been in church a long time and we've stopped doing like the really bad things. But to be honest with you, we're not close to God. And for you, what repentance is going to look like today is that you stop walking in self-made religion and you reconnect with your heavenly father. Repentance is relational. John wants these people not connected with a list of don't act this way. John wants these people connected with God. He wants these people connected with Jesus. And that's why he's saying your sins have got to be forgiven. Are you ready to repent? So I kind of ask us, are you, are you ready for that? Second thing I want you to know about repentance is actually you might refuse to repent. Like I almost said repentance is optional, but I didn't want to get you to get the wrong idea. But the reality is you might refuse to repent. Look, like, let me show you something. In verse 7, so John looks at the crowds and, and he says, you brood of vipers. Well, I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to say. But the truth is, the banks of the Jordan River were filled with all kinds of people. Some of them were ready for God. Some of them were just pretending. In other words, like, yeah, I'm a sinner. And I was, man, before I met Jesus, there was nothing good in me. God redeemed me. And I'm so thankful for that. But I think John's saying more than that. Because there are a lot of people on the banks of the Jordan who were there for the preaching, there to watch the show, maybe there to criticize, but they weren't there to repent. And I have a hunch that when John said, you brood of vipers, an awful lot of them would stop being snakes as soon as they gave their life to Jesus. But there were some people who were going to stand on the banks of the Jordan and never change from being an untrustworthy adder, from a snake. Right, let me show you. Turn your Bible. Luke 7. Go to Luke 7, verse 29. Luke 7, 29. I want you to see who got baptized, who didn't. This will blow your mind. In other words, I want to frame it up this way. I want you to see who stays a snake and who stops being a snake. I believe we're all born sinners. I mean, we are all sinners to start. 
Some of us stay that way. And some of us become adopted sons and daughters of God. Look at verse 29. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. In other words, like, what's the connection? When they met John, they repented of their sins. They were forgiven. And they were ready for what Jesus said. But did you notice who? It says all people, and it even says even the tax collectors. Which, in, you know this, but in their world 2,000 years ago for a Jewish guy, the tax collector was like the stereotype for the guy who would not listen to God, for the guy who was like, I mean, beyond any hope. So you just plug that in with whoever, for your current version of that, is the kind of person that God's not going to be working in them. But some of those guys were going to John the Baptist, repenting, being baptized, and they were ready to obey Jesus for the rest of their And you watch their life change. But this is what blows me away. Look in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Wow. So when John says, you brood of snakes, I can't help but think there's a bunch of people like me, Bible teachers, standing on the banks of the religion. Very religious. They don't miss, they don't miss any temple service. They don't miss any synagogue service. They're extremely religious people. But I kind of feel like they're still a brood of vipers for John. And it says in Luke 7 that they were rejecting God's purpose for their life. Why? Because they wouldn't repent. Because they're the kind of people like me and you that, I mean, we get so determined to put out a good, good face, to pretend that we're, we're perfect in God's eyes, that we might even find ourselves saying, oh, I, could, I would never be able to do that because then everybody might think, dot, dot, dot. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. Newsflash. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. If you are and you do, you can be the pastor tomorrow. You're better than me. Go for it, right? I'm not. I don't. The other thing sometimes that we think, and not just, you know, what would happen if anybody knew that I needed to repent of a particular sin or habits or way of life or just a growing arrogance or apathy in my life. But there's a lot of people, religious people and non-religious people, who might look at God and say, nobody's telling me what to do. There's no way this long-haired preacher from the woods is going to tell me what to do. I have six degrees from the synagogue in Jerusalem. Who is he to think he knows more, than God, more about God than I do? I got a degree from William Carey University, right? And we're looking, at, we're looking at this guy going, who are you? I don't know if you're like that, but it's easy to be like that, to look up and say, nobody's telling me what to do. And if you're not careful, you're going to look up at God and say, you're not telling me what to do either. Like there's a spirit of pride in us that's just got to be taken out. And it's amazing how repentance is part of that. So I want, just let me test it. How many of you folks have never been baptized for exactly those reasons? Because nobody's telling me what I need to do. Or what if everybody saw me get baptized, what would they think? Listen, baptize, baptism means a lot of things. I, I love Christian baptism. But at its core, it's a sign of repentance that you've turned to Jesus for forgiveness. Maybe it's not baptism that you're waiting on. Maybe it's a conversation where you haven't apologized yet or a habit you haven't shut down yet. You haven't taken some hard steps yet. But the crazy thing about this is some people are going to choose not to repent. Plenty of Pharisees and law, lawyers didn't repent. Are you repenting? Hey, Robert, I got, a, I got a slide with five words on it. There are a lot of other options when God speaks to you. If you don't want to repent, here's some other responses from God to God. 
Some of you, when God tells you what to do, you're going to run. You're going to go to another state, or you're going to go into a habit, or you're going to become a workaholic or a perfectionist. You're going to get so distracted, so busy, that you couldn't hear God's voice if he yelled at you. You are going to run from God. For some of you, that means you're going to leave church, or you left church for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. But you're going to run and hide from God. Maybe you've got a grudge with God that you've never dealt with. I don't know. Or maybe you're just afraid of what God would do with you. But for a lot of us, instead of repenting, when God speaks, we're going to run. For some of us, we're going to hide like Adam behind the tree. <laughs> okay, I'm over here. God is terrific at hide and seek. You can't hide. But some of us will try. We'll bail out of church or some of us will hide in church. We'll just duck our head real low behind the pew. And because we're here every week, people will think we're fine. But you're going to hide from God. Some of us, some of us are going to ignore God. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. No matter how many times he says it, we're going to reject his word until finally our conscience becomes strong enough to resist conviction from the Holy Spirit. And we are given over to a debased mind. And we stop gripping the pew. We just start folding the arms. Gosh, wouldn't it be better just to repent and let God do a fresh thing in you? Some of us, you're just going to fight God. Knuckle to knuckle. You know he's talking to you, but over your dead body. Are you going to obey his voice? And for some of us, this is the bad one in church. You're going to pretend. You're going to smile and look like a Pharisee. In church every Sabbath, long flowing robes. You're going to know the Bible, and so everybody's going to think you're fine. You're going to keep smiling and acting like you're obeying him, but you're not. And you know you're not. So the reality is, some people in church will not repent. And these are some of the other options. Let me just ask you to do something. Would you, would you look at that screen that Robert Scott set up for us? And would you just take a look? Where are you? Are you guilty right now? Are you, are you running? Are you hiding? Are you fighting? Are you pretending? Are you ignoring God? Where are you? Because the other alternative is real simple. The other alternative is at the end of the service, you just like come to the altar, come to me, or make a decision right where you sit and just say, God, I quit. I'm not going to fight, not going to run, not going to hide, not going to ignore you, not going to pretend, not anymore. Right now, I repent. If John the Baptist were here and we were at the Jordan, I'd jump off the banks, I'd be in the water. I'd scare the man I'd run down there so fast. I'd baptize John. I would be in the water. The question is, are you ready to repent? Because you could, you could stop right now. Right today, you could stop whatever it is you're doing or running from or how you're hiding from God. Today, you could just say, all right, God, I'm done. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my direction. I'm running back to you. I want relationship. I'm going to leave the sins behind me. I'm going to stop letting these things be my God. You're in charge of me. We could do it. The third thing I want you to know, this is key for me, repentance is not religion. It's not the same thing as religion, right? Don't think just because you're here. Let me show you. Okay, when John was preaching in John chapter 3, what did he say to some of the Jewish people who were standing on the banks that were not responding to him? He said, don't say you're sons of Abraham. It's not enough just to look up and go, I'm Jewish. What did he say? He said, look, God could raise up from these stones sons of Abraham. There's a little wordplay in Aramaic that's kind of cool. But he's telling, he's telling these guys, listen, I don't care who your great-granddaddy was. I don't care. I don't care that your uncle built the church. I don't care that you. I don't care that your that your that your mother was the most godly Sunday school teacher. I don't care that you've been here for six generations. I don't care that your grandfather was a charter member. I don't care that your dad was the pastor. I'm telling you, you don't inherit repentance. You don't inherit salvation. And John's been really, really clear. Just because you're at church, just because you say I'm Baptist, doesn't mean you're repenting and you're right with Jesus. John didn't care. 
if they were religious. Because the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people that will stumble out of a bar next Thursday night whose hearts are soft towards God and they might repent and change their life forever this Thursday. But there are going to be a lot of people who are going to walk out the back doors of a church this Sunday morning refusing to do the things God tells them to do. We're not that different. And religion doesn't save you. So I'm not asking how long have you been going to church. That's not how we measure discipleship here. I'm asking, do you respond when God tells you what to do? Fourth thing I want you to know is that repentance bears fruit. Hey, look with me in verse 10. In verse 8, John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse 10, the crowd says, well, what do we do about this? And John just goes through. He said, look, anybody, anybody in church today who's got extra food or clothes, share it. They were, in a, they were in a time and place where poverty was high and people were hungry. And the first step was just, it wasn't raise your hands when you sing. It wasn't dance. It wasn't come to the altar every time. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't go to seminary. It wasn't learn Bible words. It wasn't get your Greek and Hebrew down. No, 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 no. The first thing was, all right, love your neighbor. If, like if you got two shirts, give him one. If you got two sandwiches, give him one. Now, if that's a test, wait a minute. Am I repenting? Is my heart soft before God? What's really cool is the next group that spoke up were tax collectors. Are you hearing me? There were tax collectors in church getting baptized because they were ready for God's purpose for their life. Even though the Pharisees weren't, they were. And they said, what do we do? It's really simple. When you go to work tomorrow, don't cheat anybody. Don't, don't stop, stop taking the extra money. Take the money you're supposed to take for the government. Take the money you need for you paid, and that's it. Stop there. Stop using your job to get rich immorally off of other people. So a tax collector, real simple. When you go to work tomorrow, act different. Soldiers. I think the implication is Roman soldiers, as in the enemy, the occupiers, the bad guys, maybe they'd been sent out there to make sure John wasn't a crazy man, and eventually they started loving it. I don't know, but they were getting baptized. Here, hold on, somebody hold my helmet for a minute. Roman soldiers getting baptized. And they're asking John, what do we do, John? And John gives them a couple things, makes sense. Like, don't use your authority to extort money just because you're a soldier. You know, you know how this works, but don't you be extorting money from, from all of us little Jewish people that you're overseeing, right? Don't accuse people falsely and put them in a bad spot. We know that y'all have legal authority here as soldiers. Please don't abuse that. And look, just be content with your pay, man. Stop trying to leverage your position as a soldier to take from the people you're watching. Just, be, just go to work tomorrow and do something different. Isn't it crazy? Everybody share a little bit. Tax collectors go to work and be different. Soldiers go to work tomorrow and do something a little different. But here's the deal. When you come out of that water, you better be different. Because if there's no change, there's no repentance. And that's, that's the deal. Is like, so a bunch of us got baptized. Are you different? I mean, are you letting Jesus start changing some stuff inside? Because here's the deal. If you put up that hard wall and you don't let him touch you anymore... You're not going to be indifferent tomorrow, the next day, or the next. Ten years from now, you're just going to be a, a hard, crusty version of what you got right now. Don't do that. Bear fruit. Repentance, repentance produces fruit. Last thing I want you to know. And this is kind of heavy, but honestly, repentance results in heaven or hell. Like, seriously, look with me like in verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and they were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. Like, could John get them to heaven? Do you know the answer to that? Could John get these guys to heaven? No. No, John can't save them. 
He can point them to the one that can. And John answered them all, I'm baptizing you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Listen, listen, listen. Ava and Abby getting baptized this morning. That's powerful. The day you got baptized, powerful. The day I got baptized in a little Sugarlock Baptist Church, powerful. Man, baptism means so much. But let me tell you, water is not saving you. It's not the water of that baptism. Like the water is declaring to you that Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has cleansed your sin. He cleansed you on the inside in a way that the water could not cleanse you on the outside. Repentance through baptism, oh man, it demonstrates your repentance. It declares the church that you've repented. It's an act of obedience to show your repentance. But baptism doesn't save you. When Abby cried out to Jesus to save her, the Holy Spirit cleansed her. The Holy Spirit took her sins and saved her and let God be established in her and gave her communion with the Lord through Christ Jesus. The water of baptism this morning declared that to you. But John says, I can give you water. I can take your repentance and baptize you. I can give you a sign, a seal, a covenant. I can declare to the world that you're ready for God. I can show the world that you're walking with God, but I can't change you on the inside. But the guy that's coming soon can, and he does. In the next passage, here comes Jesus And he can grant you the Holy Spirit and cleanse you and save you. And the result of that, the result of repentance, whether you're willing to give your life to Jesus or not, does wind up translating eternal life, heaven or hell. Look at what he says. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barns. He'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Biblical metaphor, biblical metaphor for the judgment, for heaven or hell. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Here's the good news, gang. You don't have to live this way forever. And you can can connect with God in a personal way. The life that you've been living, if you've been running or hiding or fighting or pretending or ignoring God, it can give way right now, this Sunday, to something much better. You can actually have peace in your soul because you can connect with the living God through Christ Jesus. First step of that is repentance, that you're willing to change your direction, that you're willing to change your mind. So I'm asking you, repentance, are you ready? Charlie, would you guys come join me? Church family, this is the way I want you to think about it. Kids, you ever play The Floor is Lava? Thank you. I want to play a game today. This is probably a terrible idea. I just thought of it. I want you to play the, the, uh, the altar is the Jordan River. You're sitting on the banks of the Jordan and that crazy long-haired preacher is saying, God wants to connect with you. Are you willing to change your mind? Are you willing to repent and just say, okay. For some of you, that's repentance to salvation because you're lost. And for some of you, that's just that you'll drop this hard heart business and say, God, whatever you want. But we're fixing to play the altar is the Jordan River. Are you willing to jump in it? Because if you're willing to get up today and say, all right, God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of pretending and I'm tired of the unforgiveness and I'm tired of the lust and I'm tired of the anger. So I know that I'm saved, but I, I have not given you control of my life in a long time. And that's what I promised I'd do the day I got saved. So here I am. I repent. Listen, this is what real discipleship looks like. So the altar is the Jordan. I'll stand down here. The altars are open. But if you're ready to come down, 
Just bend your knee to the Lord and say, God, this is what I'm repenting. And some of us need to do that today. Some of you, you're in great spot. You don't. You're good. Your heart's soft. You've been repenting. You repented this morning. You're right with God. Every time he speaks, you answer. Man, I'm excited for that. But that's not all of us. There's a lot of us that have got some business to do this morning. And I just want you to use your imagination. The wind's blowing. Trees are rustling. There's a Pharisee on your left. And there's a tax collector with tears in his eyes on your right. And I'm just, I know what they do, but I wonder what you're going to do. So let's pray. Father, let us be soft-hearted towards you for the rest of our lives. God, let us respond every time you speak. Please, Lord, don't let my my fear, my people-pleasing, my arrogance ever stand in the way, Lord, of me repenting when you speak. I want to agree with you every time. God, I want to change my mind to match yours. I want to change my direction to walk with you. And tonight, or God, this morning, I pray that for my sisters and my brothers. God, I pray that for our youth group and our kids. I pray that for our senior adults. God, I pray that today you would show us, do we have business to do with you? And if we do, then God, let us get it done before we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond. Thank you.